I've I've written uh, this these this uh, on these subjects many times before, and uh, it was always a, a dream of mine to be able to present them in a, a very full history. Um, each article is is the story of uh, a person who uh, who came up with the um, the big discovery that that added the next piece to the puzzle and and led to all the ones that came after. Um, so you get to you get to know what that discovery is, and you get to know, um, but more importantly, you get to know how they found it because they obviously were building on um, um, what people had already discovered before, and so that gave them some ideas, and they did and uh, and various experiments and, and things like that. Um, to come up with a new piece in the puzzle. So I knew all. I knew that. I, I knew that they they would make great stories, um, but I haven't really had the opportunity before this to to tell those stories. Just to say who found what and what it meant. But this is a much more uh, elaborate um, way of, of of tackling the subjects. So um, yeah, we get lots of lots of great stories. I'm Tom Jackson. I'm the author of uh, three books in the Ponderable series. There's um, Elements, uh, an illustrated history of the periodic table, Mathematics, an illustrated history of numbers, and The Universe, an illustrated history of astronomy. Hello and welcome to the Grok Science Show. I'm Joanna Rowell. And I'm Forrest Goulden. As you heard at the top of the show, our guest today is Tom Jackson. Mr. Jackson is a science writer with more than 80 books to his credit. Today he joins us to talk about a new series of books, Ponderables, that has just come out. He's written the first two of these books, edited a third, and more books are in the works. The first three books are on the elements, the universe, and mathematics. Here's Mr. Jackson to tell us more about these books. I'm a professional uh, 
non-fiction author and I was approached by uh, a couple of publishers, um, one in the US and one in the UK who were working together to produce um, an adult series of books about the history of science and, um, and mathematics and that kind of thing. Uh, there are three out at the moment coming out next week uh, on the 9th of October and we're currently developing some new ones so hopefully there'll be more. The way that they're formatted is that it tells the story in a hundred steps, of, uh, 100 stories. We call them the ponderables, which are the, are the big problems that have been solved over the years. The story of each science in a hundred steps. So you start at the very beginning when, funnily enough, it was all pretty straightforward and people didn't know a great deal. Um, and then you continue on from there. And by the end, you're right up in the, in the modern time and looking into the future. And uh, you hopefully will get a pretty good idea of how uh, the science is how the science came about, what it all means, how it all works, and um, what might happen next. A couple other things about these books. Each of the existing volumes are 144 pages long, though future books in the series may be longer. Each book also contains a pretty big multi-page foldout that includes a timeline fitting everything into context. And there's a lot of context. The universe, the elements, mathematics, these are huge topics. You could write thousands of books on these subjects. Thousands of books have been written on these topics. We asked Mr. Jackson how he chose what to cover for his series. Well, you follow the story, really. Um, you have to start right at the beginning. So the, with, um, with elements, it's, it's Stone Age man selecting different materials. Uh, we call them Stone Age because most of what we uh, know about them comes from the stones that they left behind. But that's only because... The stones haven't gone anywhere. The stones are, you know, tough stuff, so it uh, hangs around for millions of years. But they obviously would have used uh, bones and antlers and um, rocks and and, um, uh, and wood and uh, other things like that, most of which has all um, disappeared. So they were already selecting and classifying materials for their different uh, uh, uses. Um, and that's the beginning of chemistry, really, trying to understand what the universe is made of, why are things different. And uh, so you follow that story all the way through ancient Greece, uh, through the, uh, the Islamic scholarship of uh, the, the, the 9th and 10th century, and then uh, back into Europe and um, with all the, the crazy scientists like uh, Joseph Priestley and Isaac Newton and Robert Boyle all doing their crazy um, experiments. And then we get... Uh, into the nitty-gritty like uh, quantum mechanics and, and the atomic structure and all the particles. We even touch on the Higgs boson right at the end. That was a great answer. You know what to cover by following the story. Yeah, and remember, these books follow a story. They aren't books about everything we know about the elements and everything we know about the universe. They aren't textbooks. They're history books. They're books about how we know what we know and when we learned it. At least, they cover when we learn something, when we know when we learn that something. <laughs> right. But the foundations of our knowledge about stars and elements and our math is lost in our prehistory. Our first guesses about the stars or the elements happened so long ago, we don't always know who thought what or when someone discovered something. As an example of the arc of these books, Mr. Jackson gave us a shortened, condensed version of the history of elements. The concept of, of, of the elements is a very old one. It goes back to, uh, obviously, everyone may know the most common example of the, the classical elements of ancient Greece, which was um, earth, fire, air, and water. Um, but that kind of system was used all over the ancient world. The Chinese, I think, uh, added another one in, which was metal, um, and uh, the, the Indians and 
other ancient civilizations had very similar ideas that there was there, that everything we saw around us even though there was a huge variety of it was all made from uh, a series of elemental substances um uh, they had no evidence for this, the, the ancient Greeks or anyone else. It's just, it just seemed like to make this sort of made sense to them. Um, uh, and that's kind of the, the way everyone proceeded uh, over the next 16, 17 centuries, maybe more. Um, and then people started to turn up other simple substances which they couldn't seem to break down into, into, into anything else. Uh, and they decided that they must be elements as well. So the numbers began to build up. Um, and, uh, and by the time Hennig Brand came on the scene, um, it was, they were beginning to think that there must be more than four elements, and, uh, and he discovered one. Um, and pretty soon, um, about 100 years later, the idea that elements were made from atoms and that's what gave them their particular character came came uh, to the fore, and um, off we went. One name in that clip stood out to me, Hennig Brand. Hennig Brand only stood out to me because I don't have a clue who he is. <laughs> don't feel bad, I didn't know either. But I did read the press release Mr. Jackson's publicist sent out, and Hennig Brand figures prominently in that press release. An obscure scientist neither you nor I ever heard of was the central figure of a press release? He was, and here's Tom Jackson telling us why Hennig Brand is so incredibly interesting. Well, Hennig Brand, he uh, was um, a 17th century alchemist. He lived in Germany, uh, in northern Germany. Um, uh, an alchemist was... Um, uh, well, they were kind of wizardy people. We often remember them as wizards and warlocks. And that, they, they often, uh, when they're drawn in pictures and remembered, they, they're the kind of figures that, 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 we, that we conjure up. Um, but really, they were the first chemists. They, they weren't that scientific, and they believed in magic and that kind of thing. Um, but they were the first people to build laboratories and to start really investigating uh, materials. And Hennig Brand was one of the last alchemists because uh, when he was working in the late 17th century, science, proper chemists, modern chemistry had just about begun. Uh, but that didn't stop Hennig Brand uh, carrying on his search for, for uh, the Philosopher's Stone, which, as many of your listeners will know, is a magical rock that does something pretty amazing, which is to turn, um, it, it transmutes, matter. It turns something that isn't very expensive into something that is, namely something like lead, a nice heavy metal that's quite cheap, into gold, which um, obviously they wanted a lot more. Uh, people have kind of stopped looking for it now, but, but you know, they've never found it. But who knows, it might, it might exist. Um, anyway, so he, he decided that he was going to look for it in urine. And so he collected a great deal of urine they say that he probably got used a thousand liters which in that's uh, 26 gallons of urine and he seemed to think that the best thing to do was to leave it to go rancid and really stink so he left it for a few weeks and then he boiled it down boiled all the water off and got uh, a series of sort of oily crystals and ash uh, divided all that up according to... I mean, he was following someone else's ideas. I don't think he... he 
he had a hint. He knew that there was something special going on. Um, so he divided up some of those solids and mixed them together and took other ones out and melted them and did various things to them. And he ended up with a very small amount of this strange material, which then started to glow in the dark. Which, So he was pretty sure he'd found something you know, pretty magical. Um, uh, he called it phosphorus, which um, at the time was uh, the Greek name for Venus or the, 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 the evening star. Um, and he thought that it was something that was going to make him a very rich man. It turned out that he just discovered a new element, um, and we still call it phosphorus. He's the first person we know in history to have discovered an element. Obviously, elements, uh, the simplest um, materials in the universe, um, had were known. You know, gold and copper and iron and sulfur. They were known about, but we don't know who the first person was to find them. But with phosphorus in 1669, we know that Hennig Brand discovered it, and uh, there have been a lot found since. Um, uh, probably another 70 or so have been found since then. So Hennig Brand is the first person in history known to have discovered an element. And he discovered that element by letting a thousand liters of urine go rancid, boiling that mess, and producing a phosphorescent liquid containing, as we now know, phosphorus. Yep. That's kind of disgusting. Yep. Hennig Rand is one of those guys who has a story that is historically interesting for what he did, but interesting to everyone because of how he did what he did. Right. And that wasn't the only really awesome story that Mr. Jackson shared with us. But there's Joseph uh, von Fraunhofer, who um, uh, was, uh, he's responsible for basically developing the instruments that allowed us to see colors in starlight. Um, and that has, uh, and that means that we can see what stars are made of, and it also means that we can investigate uh, the flames. Uh, if you burn something, the color of the flame, the the, the light that comes out of that flame, um, tells you what's what's was in the original uh, material that you've been burning. Um, and he was working uh, in the early 19th century. Um, uh, and he had a very, it's, a, it's almost a Disney story, his one, um, in that uh, he, was, he was orphaned at the age of 11, um, but was lucky enough to get an apprenticeship at uh, a, a glassmaker in southern Germany. He was another German, actually. Um, and everything was going fine uh, until um, two years later when his workshop fell down, effectively. There was an accident when the workshop fell down and he was inside and he was under the rubble. Um, and that's where he probably would have stayed until um, uh, the Prince of Bavaria decided to launch a rescue. And um, not personally, but uh, he arranged, he got the people in to, to rescue this young chap. Uh, and uh, so the, the orphan and the, the prince became friends. And uh, Maximilian, the, uh, the, the royal, uh, the, the guy in charge of Bavaria, uh, paid for his education and turned turned uh, Joseph into the best lens maker of, of well maybe that's ever existed um, and he worked out ways of making um, glass lenses that didn't mess up all the color that went through it before you know people like Galileo and Newton they'd all been making telescopes but they didn't make very good pictures uh, you had to sort of squint and it was all a bit blurry 
but uh, the ones that, that Joseph von Fraunhofer made were, were so crystal clear that you could uh, manipulate all the, the colors that came through and split them up. And he discovered, and many other people joined in with this, this uh, kind of um, inquiry, he discovered that every element produces a specific set of colors when it's burned or when it's hot. Uh, so when you look at a star and you can see the colors that come out of it, um, they all look white to us or maybe blue or, or red or yellow. Um, but in, inside that color are lots of different types of, lots of different colors of, of wavelengths of light. And if you spit them all up, you can tell what's actually burning on the surface of that star. And it turns out they're not all the same. turns out they're all made from all sorts of stuff and, and pretty much the same kinds of things that we find on Earth. So that got people thinking about where the elements came from. And it turns out they came from the inside of dying stars and it also allowed people to understand the way energy comes in and out of atoms you know because light is a is a wave of a carrier of energy and um, if it's coming out of an atom when you when you burn it they must go in as well so the, the, the whole the whole way that uh, electrons um, are structured around uh, a nucleus in the atom and how they move around and capture energy and give out energy that that goes to the heart of of uh, modern atomic physics and quantum physics and uh, all that kind of stuff. So if it wasn't for Maximilian, the Prince Elector of Bavaria, digging an orphan apprentice out of some rubble, then uh, we wouldn't have found out all of this, this stuff, which, uh, as you can, I'm sure you'd agree, is, is quite, uh, quite a lot that, they, that he found out, <laughs> or he helped to find out. That was a pretty cool story. Yeah, Joseph von Fraunhofer really sounds like a guy you could root for. But both the Hennig Brand and Joseph von Fraunhofer stories are about long-dead individuals who had stories and life experiences I don't think you'll ever see again. For example, I don't think anyone is ever going to get an NIH grant to boil their own urine, <laughs> and I don't think the Prince of Bavaria is ever going to rescue a budding young glassmaker again. No, those exact situations might not ever happen again, but really... If you weren't a scientist, Joanna, would you believe that the NIH would pay you to inject dye into the head of an embryonic chicken? <laughs> well, maybe not. I see your point. And the prince isn't what made the von Fraunhofer story interesting. Having a prince in the story took it to another level, yeah, but what really made the story was that you had this, this orphan, this classic underdog, rise up through trial and adversity and near-death experiences and eventually become the best in the world at what he does. That's an amazing story, even without a prince. Things have changed, though, and Mr. Jackson pointed that out to us. Wizards and hobbyists and alchemists aren't exactly making major scientific breakthroughs anymore. The, the, the days of the gentleman scientists have gone, more or less. There's, uh, the only one I can think of is James Lovelock, who um, I, mean, I don't think he'd probably thank me for calling him a gentleman, particularly in, in, that, in that sense. Um, uh, but uh, the, the days of a wealthy man who just uh, built a laboratory on the back of his house and, and did some, did, just uh, had a private income and did some experiments, those days are gone because uh, science, the, the, the body of scientific knowledge is now so enormous that uh, there's very few people who can start out in one field and then move to another. There are some people do it, but most people, they choose their specialty and oh, that's what they uh, spend their, uh, their lives doing. And they'll be making discoveries throughout their career, um, adding a piece, of, a piece uh, to that particular puzzle. Sometimes we won't, more often than not, we won't hear about it, um, but they are now, it's now a job. Science has become 
a, a profession. So yes, there 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 are less um, eccentric stories, but um, certainly the stories behind uh, these um, the stories behind them are just as good, nevertheless. The idea of the rise of the professional scientist also explains something to us. Yeah, it did. When we were talking to Mr. Jackson, we had a little bit of trouble keeping track of what story belonged to which book. Joseph von Fraunhofer, for example, learned how to determine the elemental composition of a star. And Mr. Jackson said at the very beginning that the story of the elements was really the history of chemistry, which was itself the story of the universe. So where does one book end and the next begin? Yeah, but it turns out there isn't very much overlap between the different books in this series. There, there's, there's crossovers between all three. Um, the spectroscopy story, which I told you uh, with the, 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 the prince and the, and the pauper, um, that, that's covered in both. But um, the universe uh, is, is, uh, is more about um, how it's, it's a history of how we discovered um, the, how the universe formed. So it's not, it doesn't start at the Big Bang. We don't get to the Big Bang until well into the, the, the last third of the book. It's the story of how we started to look at the stars. Astronomy is probably the oldest, the oldest science because uh, if you imagine back, uh, way back before there were any, before fire, the only thing you could see was at nighttime were the stars and they must have got a, had, a, had a pretty good view. So um, people have been looking at the stars for longer than anything else, I, I would imagine. Um, so it's the story of how we learned to understand the stars. It, it's quite an amazing one, really, because you can't, no one's visited them. Uh, and everything you, you know about astronomy just comes from looking. At the, and they've, they've developed some interesting ways of looking at stars and, um, and watching how they change. And, uh, and then, uh, and about in the, the, 90, the late 1940s, they, they came up with the Big Bang Theory, which is currently the, the leading theory. It works pretty well. Uh, no one's really proved it wrong yet. Um, but who knows? One day it might turn out to be uh, as wrong as the, you know, the classical elements of ancient Greece. But um, I don't see that happening anytime soon. So yeah, there is some overlap. Joseph von Fraunhofer shows up in both the book on the elements and the book on the universe. But these books cover the history of the science of the elements and the universe in mathematics. And as science has progressed, all of the fields have gotten more and more specialized, so the people who make that history are pretty distinct. The rise of the professional scientists means that there are fewer and fewer, if any, scientists working on multiple radically different fields. Because of that, the Ponderable series of books has a number of books that stand on their own, just as well as they fit within the series. That's our show for today. Our guest was Tom Jackson, author of two books and editor of a third book in the new Ponderables series. If you'd like to hear more from the Grok Science Show, you can find us pretty easily online. Our website, iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, the works. Or you could email us, but either way, we're always only a Google away. For Elise Kovic, Frank Ling, and Charles Lee, I'm Forrest Goulden. And I'm Joanna Rowell. Thanks for listening, and keep grokking.